Well, it's a good time at this stage on Thursday Finance to talk about the stock market. So we have a special guest who will be doing that with Stephen Pritchard today, and that is Graham Shaw, who's Director of Orbis Investments at Alan Gray Australia. And he'll be with us a little later on. We'll also have our market update with Henry Jennings, and we'll just see how the world of finance is travelling in general to NURFM Thursday Finance. And Stephen Pritchard, time we had a little look at just how the market is travelling. I believe the stock market's been going up and down a little bit this week. Up and down and down mainly. And mainly down, eh? Mainly down. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, some stocks are doing well, but others aren't doing quite so well. A few of the high flyers have 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 uh, have, uh, have um, come back to earth a bit, and we might talk about one of those a bit later. Right, with Henry, yeah. yeah with Henry, and so the gold price was up on the week, uh, fifteen dollars eighty one uh, an ounce, uh, Australian dollar to two thousand to two thousand two hundred and twenty dollars an ounce. That uh, actually could be an indication that the market, the stock market, isn't doing quite well. Well, gold's always seen as this. You know, flight to safety things, some store of value. So people tend to go to gold when things aren't, you know, there's crises or times of war or, you know, the dollar's falling. Um, and the crude oil price was also up $7.30 a barrel to $88.13. Um, the Australian dollar was down this week to 77.19. Uh, the Great British against the Great British Pound were down to 55.57. And the euro were up slightly against the euro to 64.85 euro cents. So the currencies was a bit of a mixed bag. Um, the oil and market, as we spoke about a minute ago, was down 53.5 on the week to 6,947. Um, so we're down below 7,000 again. Uh, the S&P 500 was up 130.3 on the week um, to 3,898 and the UK in FTSE index was up 74.7 to 6,725 so so the Australian market was down but the other major markets around the world were up. Okay so maybe we're just lagging and ours will go up in a minute who knows. What about some stocks held locally, um, favourite stocks? uh, BHP was down $1.70 to uh, $47.60 I I suggest that's because of the fall in the iron ore price yesterday Um, CBA or overnight CBA was up $0.34 cents to $86.72. Uh, NIB was up $0.12 cents to $5.65. And Telstra was down $0.02 cents to $3.07. Mm-hmm. So Telstra mm-hmm. keeps going. Um, and uh, um, the fuel price, Newcastle, $1.38.4. So that's up. One, uh, down $0.01.5. Cents. Um, so you've got the Easter break coming up at the end of the... Oh, Month. So you so we'll think that might make happen. a difference? And the Sydney price was dollar forty five point five, which was up eighteen cents. Uh, the Newcastle Diesel a dollar thirty one, and Sydney a dollar twenty nine, which are pretty much the same as last week. And time on Thursday finance on two and URFM to take a, a look at the market, our weekly market update with uh, Stephen Pritchard, of course, and a welcome to Henry Jennings from Markers Today. Good day to you. Hey, Henry. Stephen, hi, how are you? I'm good, I'm good. Excellent. Excellent, and you, how are you? I'm fine and dandy, can't I'm complain. Fine, fine and dandy, you never complain, Henry, you never complain. Well, there's no point, is there, no one's listening. <laughs> Absolutely no, no, right. No, we've got lots of people <laughs> I have to ask John Oprah and complain. <laughs> well, I do that for the amount of money they got paid, too, I yeah. could complain a lot. Exactly, I think um, I think I'd complain a lot on Oprah if anyone would listen to me. And then I'm sure say, I'd get the same ratings. And then say, well, you're doing it all because you want privacy. 
Yeah, anyhow, down at Metcash, they're not complaining. Best, no. best, best, best results in ten years, or best position in the market in ten years. Or so. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? These, these guys have been winners from um, from COVID, and there have been a lot of uh, winners. There's been a great sort of divergence between the winners and the losers, and now the winners are becoming the losers, and the losers are becoming the winners in some way. But these guys have done pretty well over the last year or so, mainly because we've all been stuck at home, mm-hmm. and we've wanted to shop locally rather than the IGA, uh, rather than Woolies and Aldi and, and Coles. So we're all going to IGA um, just around the corner, which is uh, which has helped them steal market share. And also, of course, we've been doing renovations on our homes. Mm-hmm. So the Mitre 10s, the home timber and hardware, and even Total Tools um, have been doing very well recently. So, um, yeah, it's been a bit of a, a winning streak for Metcash, I guess, going forward. So we're spending more on groceries from our local stores and more on renovations. Who would have thought? Uh, I have to admit there's a there's a, a, a super IGA that opened here about, oh, probably only about 12 months ago. Mm. And, you know, it's it's an amazing store. It's got you know, all these cheeses and yeah. Yeah, yeah, things you never used to get down at the IGA store. I know. So, I, I, there's one we go to on the south coast which has the most amazing meat, yep. meat that you can't get in the Woolies and the Coles, it obviously is supplied by a local uh, butcher, um, and it's just fantastic. Yeah, the same, the same as the one up here. Yeah, so mm. they're obviously changing their their mm. sales mix. And mm. um, Greensill Capital, which has been in the news um, for all not very good reasons. So, is there any you know is there any listed companies likely to be affected by their collapse? You think? Um, I I I don't know. It's it's a bit of a strange one, isn't it? It's one of those companies that no one really knows much about, and it's big, and it seems to be in serious mortal trouble. Mm-hmm. Um, IAG was the one that got picked on the other day uh, and had a 10% fall before they came out and said that um, we don't have any particular um, exposure to green seals, but and the stock did rally, but it's just been soggy ever since. Mm. So, so clearly... There's something going on here. And the, the problem, I guess, is that in this day and age, and we've, we saw this during the GFC, not that this is a GFC moment or a Lehman's moment, but everything is connected to everything. So Greensills is a, is a factoring company, um, and they, they sort of help you out with your, um, your debts and enable you to, to pay your bills quicker by lending you the money. Etc. And they enable small businesses to get paid quicker, etc. So there's, there's, it's quite a complicated business. They do have, um, they do have exposure to one particular company, which has been part of the problem, um, and that ties in with the Wyala Steel plant, yep. which is um, potentially a problem. But yeah, I, I, it's one of those issues that's kind of rumbling around in the background, mm-hmm. and I don't think anyone really knows and i don't think it really is an issue but it's just you know big financial institutions going belly up and being put into administration you do get the feeling that things are always connected mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so I, I don't know i'm not smart enough to to actually work out how connected but i'm sure somebody will work it out and um, pronounce on it yeah well i think the european central banks trying to work out how 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 connected they are and they're having well, problems yeah they're, they're they're smarter than us, honey. They're much smarter than us. Yes, and they get to run the book as well. Yes, they yeah. get to run everything. 
Yes, and so, so <laughs> someone else who thought they had to run anything it was Afterpay. Um, shares have taken a bit of a fall this week, from mm. like, yeah down to one hundred and ten dollars. I saw this morning. Well, this this is again is is a weird one. I have to say, um, they're one hundred and seven dollars. They've fallen from their all time high was one hundred and sixty dollars and five cents. And I think part of there's a number of reasons why Afterpay are falling. One is that we're seeing this bond yield increase, so that does affect long-term valuations for these sorts of companies. Secondly, we've got PayPal entering the market in Australia. Thirdly, there is, I think there was a little bit of surprise, at least from some, that Afterpay didn't actually own all of their American business. They always talked as if they did, but it turned out they only owned 80%. So in order to buy some more of it off the canny Americans, they had to raise quite a lot of money, and also the founders sold down some shares as well to enable um, the convertible issue they did to be hedged. Um, and that just kind of set the rot in, I think. there was You could draw some um, conclusions about what the uh, Afterpay was valuing the, the remaining part of Afterpay US and the Americans were valuing it at, and then you could draw some conclusions that you went, well, the market's valuing Afterpay, at much, much higher prices at the moment. So maybe the market's a little bit ahead of itself, and I think mm-hmm. we've seen that in that space. And it hasn't helped that we've got the buy now, pay later um, entrant, pay now, PayPal coming to uh, Australia as well. So there's just been a number of headwinds. And, of course, uh, NASDAQ in the U.S. has been bouncing around all over the place and hasn't had a really good time. It's, in a, it's You know, this is the first time in 20 years that we've seen the Dow Jones at a record high, and the Nasdaq is officially in a correction territory, 10% off its low, off its highs. Thursday Finance, our market update with Henry Jennings. Stephen Pritchard is here, of course, too. And uh, Treasury Wine sold four of its brands in the US for $100 million. Yes. Yes? Um, yeah, good. I, I guess the market's taken out good. There are some, some rumours swirling as there always are when, a, when something is down and out and the vultures start circling. Mm-hmm. But um, there are um, big drinks companies around the world that are casting their slide rules over Treasury wine estates as a potential takeover target. Of course, mm-hmm. Treasury's had some issues with China. Um, not only China, I guess, but that's their biggest issue at the moment, is being able to get their wine into China because of the tariffs that they've been slammed with. Mm-hmm. And also they've had issues in the States. So they've sold a couple of... Uh, brands in the U.S. for 100 million bucks, which is good. And what they've been trying to do is to split the company into, um, I guess, the, the premium side of things, which is the Penfolds, Penfolds. Um, the U.S. and um, sort of the, the Australian Asian side of things. So um, it's an interesting. They, they did deny it for a long time that they were trying to do that, and then they finally said, you know what, that's what we're trying to do. Three big sort of silos, um, and of course there is potential then to. Um, sell bits of them or demerge or whatever. So there has been a bit of interest in, in Treasury wine estates from these low levels because it has been, to be honest, a little bit of a corked company, if that's yes. the right word. But they did get down to eight bucks and now they're back up to eleven fifty. So um, they have um, they have been doing well, and the, the deal in the, in the US did certainly help them um, and, and unlock some of the value that's I guess hidden in some of those brands that they can sell. So mm-hmm. maybe, maybe things are looking up. And uh, the Chinese investor who rode to 
Santos's aid when it needed some money at some stage has started to sell down their stake? Yeah, they sold uh, around 10% mm-hmm. of their stake the other day. Uh, they've still got another 9.9% stake, which uh, they've agreed to escrow for uh, another 90 days, I think. They sold them at $7.33. So this, this all came about uh, due to, um, due to the, uh, the abortive takeover um, approach that was made some time ago to when Santos were, were down on their knees. So, um, yes, they, they, they certainly um, taken advantage, I guess, of the higher oil prices that we're seeing as, um, as global demand picks up and, and getting out of that Santos. So they've still got around 10% left to do. So, yes, it's no longer the strategic relationship they thought they were getting. And now it's just, it's just become an investment. So. Portfolio. Mm. And uh, AMP sold another fund. There'll be nothing left to sell, sir. <laughs> it's a bit like it's a bit like a Christmas turkey, all fat and stuffed. And the Christmas turkey has its own carving knife, and it just keeps carving bits off itself till there's nothing actually left um, for people to eat, and all the best bits go, and you end end up with them. Um, the bands <laughs> with the um, maybe just the stuffing. So yeah, I mean AMP. We've now got um, Macquarie were in the news today saying that the the deal that AMP had done with Aries Capital um, was um, was undervaluing the um, the business side of things. So um, there is some people sort of pushing back mm-hmm. against that. But um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's just that's the problem when you when you're in such deep deep um, trouble, then the temptation is to sell the good bits to get yourself out of the trouble. The trouble is then you've got nothing left um, but the bad bits, and, and nobody wants that bit. So. It raises me. A new chairman comes in who's supposed to be there to run the company, and then they decide they'll sell it. Yeah, I've got to say, that was um, that was pretty much cutting um, Francesca um, Francesco's legs away, really, mm-hmm. from under him. He comes up with a strategic plan over the next sort of three to five years to turn the company around, the new chairman comes in and says, no, we're actually just going to try and sell bits. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that doesn't really, I'm sure there was a, a little bit of a, um, a, a, a sort of a, a, a splatter when he heard that from the, um, yeah. the chairman. So yes. I'm not sure that the, the boardroom is such a happy place. Nah. I'm not sure that the biscuits are being passed in all the right directions there. We should go down there. Anyhow, <laughs> anyhow we'd make an equal share of the biscuits, anyway. Um, yeah. Anyhow, <laughs> we'll talk again next week with some Thanks, more Dave. news. Thanks, Henry. Right. Thank Bye. you, Bye. Henry Jennings, who is Senior Market Commentator at Marcus Today, joining us for our market update. Thursday, Finance and Stephen Pritchard. We're joined now by Graham Shaw, who's the Director of Orbis Investments at Alan Gray Australia. And uh, we're going to think about the um, share market generally and share investing. Um, and welcome to you, Graham. Hi, Graham. Hi, Stephen. Thanks very much for having me back. That's good. Well, it was interesting to have you back. And um, so the the share market's kind of made this amazing recovery since um, since March, and to a certain extent, you know, it appears to be out of whack with the real economy. So, what what do you think this means for investors? You're, you're dead right, Stephen. It's it's been one of the sharpest declines up until March, and then on the back of huge amount of government spending and central bank support, the stock market has recovered pretty much to back where it was before any of us had even heard the word coronavirus. 
Um, and, and I think if you look at the sort of valuations we face today, that they are sort of at the upper end of the historical range. So just to give you a, a few examples, um, if you just invest in a basket of, basket of global shares from companies all over the world, um, roughly two-thirds of that basket will be U.S. shares. And if you look at the PE of the U.S. market, where you calculate it relative to the average earnings of over, say, the last decade, and that's something called the Schiller PE. The Schiller PE is, is, is near um, the sort of highs we saw uh, at the top of the tech bubble in 2000, which was quite a challenging period for investors. So that's a little bit of a warning. Another one would be Warren Buffett's favorite measure, which is uh, the value of the U.S. stock market divided by the value of the U.S. economy. Uh, and if you plot that over time, you'll see that's also quite high. And so I think there are some warning signs on on valuations for anyone who invests in, in the broad market overall. I think there are also some signs of speculation in the market today. And that there is a saying in investing that you should try to be greedy when others are fearful. And people were fearful in March, April and May of last year. That was a great time to buy shares. I think when you look around today, there are some signs that investors are starting to be a little bit greedy. Yeah, and, and there seems to be a lot of you know, speculation, you know, coming into the market as well. I mean, but 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 some of that's actually starting to fall fall back. I've noticed. So so there's the the IPO market. Um, so what what's kind of happening with all this speculative end of the market here? Yeah, you're dead, dead right, Stephen. The IPO market has been running pretty hot recently. Um, and there's a few things you can look at that sort of tell you that. One is just if you look at the the size. Uh, in terms of just the sheer amount of capital being raised by either IPOs or what they call SPACs, which are special purpose acquisition companies that are effectively just another way of, of listing a new company on the stock market. Um, you know, the, the volumes in, in new capital raisings are probably double, more than double what they normally would be. Um, that's quite a worrying sign. Another one would be the amount that newly listed companies move on the first day. What you find is that in speculative periods, that first day move in IPOs tends to be quite large. And we're currently sitting in a region where you go, it is, it is a bit speculative. It's not as crazy as it was in, in the tech bubble in 2000. But one day IPO moves are quite a lot higher than they normally are. I think a third one would just be if you look at newly listed companies, and they tend to be quite technology-oriented companies, and compare the value the stock market ascribes to them when they list, uh, relative to what private investors thought the company was last time they put money into those companies. I mean, the premiums can be uh, somewhere between two and seven times. I mean, there's a huge increase in value for what is essentially the same, more or less the same company that private investors put money into not that long ago, but the stock market has decided that these things are all worth a lot more. Um, I think a couple of other things is there's a lot of signs that um, retail investors, so sort of non-professional investors are, are speculating quite a lot in the stock market. So the volumes at, at the more traditionally retail-oriented brokers uh, are close to triple what, what they would normally be. Um, and, you know, there's been quite a lot in the press about uh, things like, you know, GameStop, where, you know, groups of investors have gotten together to drive up prices to to levels that are, that are probably not supported by valuations. Thursday Finance, Stephen Pritchard. We are talking with Graham Shaw from Orbis Investments and uh, yeah, 
Over to you. And so one of the other signs of speculation is is when um, share prices or, or other prices seem to rise and fall suddenly. And we've had a couple of examples with um, with uh, um, Bitcoin, uh, Tesla, and here in Australia, Afterpay. So all, all these things are pointing to just pure speculation and no underlying fundamentals for these for these type of assets. Yeah, I think that's right. I think there are parts of the market that, that are looking really quite speculative. And, and ordinarily, you know, when, when you're in the cycle where you go valuations are looking high, speculation is, is rife. That's when investors might sort of sell some of their shares and put more of their money either into cash or into bonds. The problem with doing that today is that A, interest rates are incredibly low, and B, in order to bail the world's economy out from coronavirus, uh, governments and central banks have collectively built up a huge pile of debt. So if you look at U.S. Uh, debt today, it's at levels relative to the economy that we were last at um, just after the Second World War. Uh, and, and that's actually a little bit of a worrying sign for investors because um, if you look back at the history of big wars, particularly big wars that caused debt to rise a lot, uh, and sort of look at what happened after that, you find that inflation tends to run at levels that are a bit higher, quite a bit higher than, than it has been on average. Uh, and the reason for that is, you know, governments use inflation as a way of whittling down uh, the true value of the debt they built up during the war. So I think that's a little bit of a warning sign um, that might make you think twice about hiding uh, hiding your, your, your capital in, in cash or bonds. So if you can't, if you can't go to cash or bonds, and I, and I think Warren Buffett made some statement in the last uh, newsletter that holders of bonds are going to be crucified or some, some statement like that, um, where should you be looking? Yeah, that's right. I mean, it's sort of like we're in a catch-22 situation. The index valuations are looking highish, and bonds are looking terrible, and cash gives you almost nothing. It's, it's a little bit depressing. I, I think there is some good news, though, for investors. Because if you look within the stock market, there's a very wide spread of valuation. So the expensive stocks are looking very expensive, but the cheap stocks are actually looking perfectly reasonably valued. Uh, the more what, what uh, investors call the value-oriented stocks uh, are looking quite cheap, and and they hadn't hadn't done very well during the coronavirus period, haven't hadn't had that big expansion in valuation that the growth stocks had. And so they still offer quite good value. Uh, the other nice thing about these stocks today is that they're positioned at, at a nice point in the cycle. They tend to be the more economically sensitive names. And, uh, you know, I think there's a good chance they'll do well for the next few years, driven by the recovery in the economy, uh, which is caused by the availability of vaccines and also by a huge amount of government spending. So that's great for them. At the same time, we probably are likely to see interest rates rise, particularly for, for um, debt that has, has a longer duration. Uh, and I think as Warren Buffett said, you know, the risk is those, those rising interest rates will hurt your bonds, but they also tend to hurt the more highly valued tech-oriented companies that trade on very high multiples much more than they would hurt the more cyclical value-oriented companies. So they're simultaneously cheaper and also quite a bit safer in a world where interest rates are likely to rise. So have we got some examples of these type of companies that we're talking about here? Yeah, I mean, BMW would be a good example. I mean, it, it currently trades at around about seven times its normal earnings, so what it would typically earn in a normal year. Um, 
good good business, um, good brand. Um, it's occupied a great niche, very well managed. Uh, um, the the family that have managed BMW have done a great job over the last 30 or 40 years of, of, of looking after shareholders in that company. Um, and, you know, as the economy opens up, people that have put off buying a new car may well um, decide that you know, now's a good time to, mm-hmm. to buy one. Um, so that would be one example. I mean, another example would be Comcast, um, which is a U.S. cable company. They own the best fiber optic network in the U.S. Um, they provide services to businesses and homes. And, um, you know, they've benef- they probably should benefit as more and more people start to work from home. Uh, but they also have, um, they own NBC Universal, which owns Universal Studios, um, Universal Pictures, and also NBC. And those businesses have been sort of hurt by, um, mm-hmm. by uh, the pandemic, but and as they recover, that'll benefit. So you've paid a, you know, a moderate fee multiple for that business. And then on top of that, you just get the bonus that, uh, you know, eventually as, as its other businesses recover, uh, its earnings can, can grow and recover from there. So have you got any in Australia? Um, yeah, I mean, we, we like um, Illumina is a nice one in Australia. Illumina, yep. um, uh, you know, I mean, they're trading at a huge discount to the construction cost of, of their plant and equipment. Um, and, you know, the world hasn't consumed a lot of aluminium in the last year because, you know, quite a lot of aluminium goes into the aerospace business and people haven't mm-hmm. been buying lots of new planes because nobody's flying anywhere. But, you know, eventually that, that market should recover, travel will come back, and demand for aluminium will, 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 will go back. And you've paid probably less than half the cost that would what it would cost you to recreate that business from scratch if you were to, you know, try and redevelop the mines and build new plants for them. Uh, and so that, so that seems like a pretty good price uh, for, for a, a business we all need. Because if inflation does take off, those, the value of those assets will increase even more. Absolutely. That's the nice thing about Illumina. It's, it, it's producing real stuff that real people need, uh, and it should, should protect you quite well against inflation. Okay. Well, thanks for, thanks for that, Graham. Um, we'll probably get you back in a few months to have a chat again and see what else is happening. Perfect. Thanks very much, Stephen. Thanks, Graham. And thank you, Graham Shaw. He's Director of Orbis Investments at Alan Gray Australia. And I suppose it's uh, sort of questions that we're asking each other, asking ourselves pretty well at this time, Stephen Pritchard. Um, we're, yeah, we're post-COVID, but we're not quite post-COVID. It's, uh, it's all very interesting to so, see where companies are going and what's isn't happening. Isn't that a Chinese curse, something about may you live in interesting times? Oh, we all like to live in interesting times, don't we? Or not. Or not. Or not. Exactly. And Thursday Finance will be back next week, uh, next Thursday, after the midday news on your station to a new RFM.